Have you ever noticed that the lower jaw is not protected in sports? Did you know that 10,800 concussions will happen today? This has been an upward trend for the past 50 years. I'm Dr. Michael Hutchison, a practicing neuromuscular dentist. When my son wanted to participate in football and rugby, I was afraid he was going to get a concussion. That fear led me to finding the missing link to reducing concussions. The fact is, the only part of the skull that is not protected in sports is the lower jaw. If you want to drastically reduce concussions, there are three basic jaw positions that affect concussions and two of them are not good. The correct one is called physiologic jaw position. It will dissipate the force away from the brain. Knowing that, I designed an appliance that put my son's jaw in the right place and as a result, he was concussion-free from fifth grade all the way to senior year. This job position takes those 10,800 concussions today down to 28. It's the key to concussion protection. As a parent, this is what you need to know. It's extremely important that the device you are using is on the lower jaw. Thickness of the device is important. Most importantly, it must position and hold you in your own unique personal physiologic jaw position. So if your child goes out on the field with the correct jaw position, your son or daughter will not one of those 10,800 concussions today. Get yours today at powerplusmouthguard.com. Use the promo code POWERUP2023 for 10% off. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. You can follow me on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on multiple music streaming providers, including Spotify, Amazon Music, and Audible. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintailspodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Before we get into the story, I have to mention newspapers.com. I use it for my research and I love it because it gives me so much interesting information I would have never found otherwise. If you visit SportsHistoryNetwork.com, we offer a free one-week subscription as a trial. With a paid subscription, you'll be supporting the production of this podcast as well as the other shows. Once again, thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales Podcast. Last time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, Red Grange and the Bears rolled to an 8-1 record in a second barnstorming tour that took them from Florida to California to Washington. At the end of the tour, Grange's manager, C.C. Pyle, presented Grange with his rookie paycheck. He had earned $50,000 plus an additional $75,000 in gate admission tickets. Later, he wrote in his autobiography that Charlie kept his word. Now I thought I could go on to make it a million. This time on the Pigskin Tales podcast, I will focus on Grange's life after football. Although he was an exciting person to watch on the football field, 
he also had a career as an actor and broadcaster. Grange's impact on pro football has had lasting effects. A person almost can't talk about the Chicago Bears without mentioning Red Grange. This is the last part of the series on Red Grange, so I want to thank you for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. On January 31st, 1926, the Bears played the Seattle All-Stars. Grange scored two touchdowns and had 99 rushing yards on nine attempts en route to a 34-0 domination. After the game, Grange, Pyle, and George Wilson, the All-American halfback for the University of Washington, donated 50 bucks to a medical bill fund for Raleigh Corbett, an all-star for Seattle that broke his leg during the game. Wilson, too, injured his right leg trying to tackle Grange, but Corbett's injury was much worse. According to author Ira Morton from his autobiography on Red Grange, it was days after the barnstorming tour was done, Pyle approached George Hallis and Dutch Sterneman about buying a stake in the Chicago Bears. This was a big controversy at the time because Pyle's failed negotiation with Hallis' refusal resulted in a new team and a new extension of the league. According to a blog written by Hugh Wyatt in 2004, Pyle told Hallis and Sterneman that he was the one that actually owned the contract signed by Grange, not Hallis and the Chicago Bears. Pyle also demanded that Grange be paid a generous salary for being the team's go-to guy. In addition to the new salary for Grange, Pyle wanted to be a one-third owner of the Bears. In my opinion, I don't think Hallis had much of a response to Pyle other than to say, no. I think Pyle became upset and stormed out of the meeting, saying to Hallis that he would regret his decision later. According to Wyatt, Pyle's rejection by Hallis was taken to the NFL owner's winter meeting discussing the 1926 season. At the meeting, Pyle argued that he owned the rights to Grange's contract that he signed in October of 1925. In addition to proving that he owned Grange's contract outright, he wanted to start an NFL franchise of his own in New York specifically within Yankee Stadium. A lot of the owners scoffed and laughed hysterically. As the owners scoffed and laughed hysterically at the idea of a professional sports promoter owning an NFL franchise in the largest city in the United States, Pyle yelled above the laughter that if the league doesn't honor their request, then he would start a rival league of his own. The chatter and laughter then came to a complete halt. New York Giants owner Tim Mara spoke up after the chatter and laughter subsided. 
he spoke directly to Pyle and talked about his financial struggles with a pro football team in New York. He said that he agreed with Pyle that Grange's appearance in an exhibition game at the Polo Grounds saved the franchise. He then asked for a compromise. This is a perfect time for a quick break. At the Sports History Network, we're all about the sports yesteryear, and so we're pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings sports history to life. The Row One gallery features over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, and advertisements in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. Any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. It's your choice. In the Row 1 shop, you can pick from thousands of unique items that feature retro and historical backgrounds dating back to 1876. We have everything from clothing to phone cases to mugs, even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row1 for access to the full Row 1 catalog. When you buy from the gallery today, you can instantly save 15% on your purchase. All you have to do is enter the code SHN15 and your discount will be applied. That's SHN15. That's it. Simple. Save 15% off all your prints in the Row 1 gallery. Just go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row one. And don't forget to check out all the podcasts on the Sports History Network. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Come prop up on Thrive Fantasy this football season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports and esports app for player props. With Thrive, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Choose 10 out of the 20 available player props to build your lineup. Each prop is assigned a fantasy value for both the over and the under based on how likely it is to hit. Hit the most props and rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. Thrive has over $140,000 guaranteed in prizes for the NFL in Week 1. Thrive's featured contest is $20 to enter and first place takes home a cool $20K. When you sign up today, use the promo code SHN and you'll get a 100% instant first deposit match up to $100. If you go through the Sports History Network website, sportshistorynetwork.com slash thrive, you don't even need to enter the promo code. You automatically get the deposit bonus. Download the Thrive Fantasy app on the App Store or Play Store now. You can play online at thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. After we've paid some bills, we're now back to the story. Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. Mara explained that while Grange was the main attraction and that Pyle wanted his own NFL franchise in New York, he suggested that Pyle be given a franchise in Brooklyn, thinking that Brooklyn is still part of New York. 
The other owners looked around at each other and agreed with Mara that Pyle could have his franchise in a suburb of New York because they knew the impact of Grange's appearance. Pyle probably chose not to respond right away. Instead, he more than likely said something to the effect that he was thankful to the league's owners for inviting him to the meeting and being able to prove that he owned the rights to Grange's contract outright. He also probably said that upon consideration for the franchise in Brooklyn that he is going to reject that offer put forth by the league. He is going to formally start his own pro football league and call it the American Football League. His franchise was going to be the New York Yankees and they will be playing their home games at Yankee Stadium. Before the meeting took place, Pyle had already rented Yankee Stadium. He just wanted to formally prove to the other NFL owners that he had the sole rights to Grange's contract, not George Hallis and the Chicago Bears. The new American Football League started on September 26, 1926. Red Grange was part of C.C. Pyle's New York Yankees. Meanwhile, NFL President Joe Carr started their seventh season on September 19, 1926. How did everyone do? The standings were noted in the Pro Football Researchers blog in their 1997 Volume 19, Issue 1 of the Coffin Corner. Number 1 was Philadelphia Quakers, 8 and 2. Number 2, New York Yankees, 10 and 5. 3, Cleveland Panthers, 3 and 2. 4, Los Angeles Wilson Wildcats, 6 and 6. Chicago Bulls, 5 and 6. Number 6, Boston Bulldogs, 2 and 4. 7, Rock Island Independents, 2 and 6. 8, Brooklyn Horsemen, 1 and 3. Number 9, the Newark Bears, 0 and 3. Dr. Harry March wrote a short essay to end the Coffin Corner publication issued in 1997. He says, Weather is the worst foe of professional football as it is to all outdoor sports. There were five rainy Sundays in the seven booked in New York that season. The tax reports to the U.S. government showed how much the Pyle team, which he called the Yankees, were taking in. One could easily figure out how fast they were being sunk. The Giant team was losing too as we had to increase many salaries and pay new men much more than they were worth, as players were, for once, very scarce. The American League, which is what Pyle called his outlaw organization, never had one winning day for all nine of his teams. The losses must have been enormous. Many players never were paid in full. It was a three-month losing streak for Cash and Carey, and it continued until his Bunyan Derby. From Los Angeles to New York and back, and his sporting finesse. Through it all, Grange retained the respect and affection of the national leaguers, and this included managers, owners, and players. 
1927, Pyle approached Mr. Mera, voiced his regrets, confessed defeat, and asked forgiveness. He was permitted a franchise which he might have had earlier had he been less aggressive and more tactful. He played two more seasons in the league, the last without Grange, whose contract with him had expired. Then he withdrew his cross-country running races and his foreign female tennis players, a sadder, wiser, and poorer man. One man, Timothy Mara, stood between the dictatorship of professional football by C.C. Pyle and the present orderly procedure which has built up a fine league of national success. President Carr was firm and tactful after war was declared and Chris O'Brien of the Chicago Cardinals stuck to the old league when every possible financial inducement was made to have him desert to the new outlaws. His loyalty and stability under the stress, in my opinion, has never been thoroughly appreciated by the team owners or by the public. On October 27, 1927, the Yankees were shut out by the Bears 12-0. According to the Decatur Daily Review in Decatur, Illinois, Red Grange was carried off the field due to a really bad injury. The newspaper article says that Grange went to catch a pass thrown by Eddie Tryon and George Trafton, the Bears center, pulled down Grange and his cleat became stuck in the grass. Grange's knee twisted the wrong way and severely pulled a tendon. As soon as the whistle blew, players such as Trafton felt so bad for the injury that they physically carried him off the field. Grange told the press after the game that he'll be taking it easy for the next week and hopefully will be ready to play against the Green Bay Packers. Grange wrote in his autobiography with Ira Morton that after the injury to his knee, he felt like he was just another halfback. The injury had affected his speed and agility, but he was still able to play the rest of his career. Grange also noted that he thought he could play through the rest of the season on a bum knee. He says, at the young age of 24, I refused to believe that I couldn't bounce back to my old form. I was positive I could play myself back into shape, but those additional games only served to further aggravate my condition, and when the tour was ended, it became apparent that I had done irreparable damage to the knee. For the first time since I was hurt, nearly four months before, I began worrying over the possibility that I might be through as a football player. Four months after his injury, the Yankees played the Cardinals and won 20-6. Grange's knee held up, but he still wasn't the same player he was in the past. When Grange's contract was officially done in 1928, Grange did not renew his contract. He felt that his knee injury was too risky to continue, so he sat out the entire 1928 season. 
He returned to the Bears in 1929 and played five more seasons before officially retiring in 1934. When Red officially retired, Hallis offered him a coaching job with the Bears. It was reported in the Cedar Rapids, Iowa Gazette on June 20, 1935, that Red Grange has accepted a backfield coaching position with the Chicago Bears. He was offered the position of head coach first, but refused because of inexperience in the field of instruction. He said he wanted more experience in instruction before assuming more responsibility. Grange coached for the Bears for two seasons before retiring for good from football. Gary Rainmuth of the Chicago Tribune wrote a nice article about Red that was published on January 29, 1991, titled, Red Grange, Greatness and Humility. In an excerpt from his article, he writes about Grange's life after his football playing days. He writes, In 1937, Grange underwent an emergency operation on his bladder and retired from the game. Then he owned a Chicago nightclub on Sheridan Road, was a sales manager of a large bottling company, sold insurance, and was a TV radio sportscaster for 10 years. In 1978, at a gathering of old friends and teammates in Glen Ellen, Grange was asked to speak. Hell, I'm not that great, he said. I'm just an ordinary guy. The truth is that until he retired with his wife to Indian Lake Estates, Florida, some 40 years ago, there was little that wasn't quite extraordinary about the life of Harold Red Grange. Harold Edward Red Grange passed away on January 28, 1991, at the age of 87. He was a modest player that played with passion and love of the game. From an early age, he was someone that had the gift of speed and agility. Combined with size and strength, Grange was an all-pro halfback twice in his pro career. He played in 96 career games, scoring 21 total touchdowns. ProFootballReference.com shows that he played eight seasons in the league. The one season that didn't get recorded was when he played in the American Football League under C.C. Pyle and the New York Yankees. While Red doesn't have the huge numbers you would expect from a guy that was so pivotal to getting the NFL seen as a popular sport, he was a guy that was famous for leaving would-be tacklers in a cloud of dust 80 yards behind him. He was the first athlete to get paid to play football professionally. He was a charter member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1963 and was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1951. Without Grange making the decision to play for Hallis and the Bears in 1925, the NFL may still be seen as a beer league instead of the most popular sport in America.
Thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. This story was written and produced by your host, Ross Bliley, edited by Nikki Bliley. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, subscribe to the show on the Sports History Network. As a conversation starter, you can email me questions or leave feedback of the show at pigskintalespodcast at gmail.com. The soundtrack is provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. Once again, thanks for listening to the Pigskin Tales podcast. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.